Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm very excited to have on today's show Dave Bayless, who is a business midwife who loves helping people innovate in and through their businesses. He's also a husband, father, skier, former banker, and recovering private equity investor. Dave has a pension for enthusiastic drawing during meetings. He can help you determine what kind of financing is appropriate for your business, as well as how to build scalable operations. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that, specifically this idea of, of cash flow and this value that we're going to talk about, the value of when you are cash flowing, you're growing your business, and what it looks like to go from six to seven figures and what happens when you really start to scale and, and maybe some of the things that can kind of go wrong and how we avoid those. So Dave, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches with us today. Tom, it's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So before we dig into this, and I love this topic because I think it's, uh, it's one I'm particularly interested in. I like the idea of growth and scale and all these things, but I also know there's a lot of stuff that comes along with that. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that today. Before I get to that, give us a little background. How do you How'd you get to this space? You know, I mentioned that you were a private equity investor, former banker. What led you to what you're doing today? Well, it was a meandering path. I, the first third of my career was spent in the leverage buyout and private equity world. And it really wasn't something that um, I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. I got more and more interested in people who created stuff. So um, I started off working on very, very large companies and large deals and got smaller and smaller and smaller as time progressed. Uh, so sort of the middle third of my career was spent with a lot of technology startups. Uh, and the last third has been working with small consumer products firms or even uh, people that have ideas for consumer products. Great. So now talk me through, like, now that you're working with, you know, businesses in the six to seven figure range, you know, we, we mentioned offline a little bit about this idea that cash flow goes, it generally will, you know, go down before it can go up when you, when you start to kind of scale it. So walk me through that. Like, how does this, how does this work conceptually? And then maybe we can kind of get into the nitty gritty of it. Sure. I think most people understand that when you start a business of almost any kind, you've got to spend some money up front before you're going to be generating revenue. And it's going to take some time before you reach a break even point and are generating revenues and profits um, and increasing your cash. So there's this, this valley effect when you're, you're getting going. Uh, we call it the valley of broken dreams. And because if you don't understand how deep and broad the valley is likely to be, you, it's very difficult to be prepared for. It's like going into the desert in Southern California with a, a bottle of water. You get about a third of the way in and you're in, in real trouble. Um, so that's one aspect of the dynamics of cash flow that we spend a lot of time working people through is, is understanding on the front end how deep and broad that, that cash valley might be. And then furthermore, uh, what really catch, catches people unawares is the fact that in some business situations, profitable growth, the profitable growth that they've been pursuing, you know, <laughs> night and day for a year or more, uh, 
you know, comes around and that can actually kill their business, uh, ironically. So I guess, yeah, talk, talk me through why, why, why can this kill their business? So, you know, a couple of things to, to recognize. One is business profit is kind of like food. It, you, you need it to survive, but you can live without it for a while. On the other hand, cash is like oxygen. You just can't go very far without cash. So one of the things that, you know, sometimes happens when, when people go into business and a lot of creative people that start businesses don't have accounting backgrounds or finance backgrounds. Bankers and accountants don't start companies by and large. Um, but as a consequence, they may not be really skilled users yet of financial statements. So they'll focus in on an income statement and they'll equate profit with cash flow. The problem is with different businesses, the cash cycle really impacts how quickly revenue and profit turn into cash. And what I mean by cash cycle is quite simply the delay between paying for what it takes to create a saleable product or service in a consumer product business that would be buying inventory and the delay between you get money from your customer. Um, and the longer that delay, the more cash you have tied up in your business. So when you hit the gas and you really start ramping your revenue, in some situations, your cash requirements can grow faster than your cash receipts. And you see kind of uh, your revenue ramp going up to the right, but your cash flow just drops or your cash balance just drops through the floor as a consequence of your growth. Is this, is this the case both for, for, I mean, obviously, I know there's the, the fundamentals are the same for any business. How does this impact, especially kind of, uh, you know, digital space businesses, uh, people are selling digital products or, or something like that. I know there's obviously the, the fundamentals are the same, but is there anything that we need to consider? Like if I'm doing some kind of digital product, like where that, where this changes or, or any specific considerations? Oh, absolutely. And, it, and every business is going to vary a little bit. So digital products have tremendous advantages when it comes to the cash flows. I know you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for one thing, you, there's not a physical inventory. Once you make your first copy, you can replicate it very quickly. So it's not like a widget maker who has to stockpile or you know, warehouse lots of inventory and tie up a lot of cash. You know, furthermore, if you're selling a digital product, you're usually selling direct to the ultimate buyer or user. And they're paying you with a credit card on your e-commerce enabled website. And you're collecting the cash from that sale usually in a matter of a few days. So for a digital products maker, at the margin, uh, the cash cycle is really short. And that's true of service businesses as well. Hmm. One of the differences, though, of course, with a digital product, like it is with a software as a service business, is there's often a, you know, a, a long period up front where you have to create the first copy, hmm. the, first, the first release, the first uh, ebook. That production cycle is uh, is obviously where a lot of cash gets tied up or cash gets used. But with a digital product, when you hit the gas, uh, the good news is that revenue translates into cash quickly. And this problem is, to a large part, mitigated. So now, does this have like, so a big part of this thing, kind of with any, any business, though, it has to do with, um, uh, I don't know if this is the correct word. So obviously, I don't have that background that you mentioned, the... Uh, you know, the, the financial background and the stuff. So, but the idea of like throughput and like kind of moving, 
like not only like selling, but being able to deliver on the sale. So like I come at it from a service-based perspective, but yeah, it's great to get sales, but then we actually have to deliver and, and move all that through, right? So like how important is that and how do we like take that into account when it comes to our businesses? Exactly. That's a good way to think about it. You know, the notion of throughput, that there are stages of a business and understanding those stages is critical. So if you're making the sale in a service standpoint, hmm. you don't always invoice at the time of the sale. You invoice upon delivery or there's some hmm. sort of staged invoicing. And then you, of course, have got to collect on the invoicing. So I, I was talking to a friend the other day who is the chief operations um, officer of a pretty sizable information technology services company. And one of the things that they found when they were, this company had been growing very, very rapidly the last few years, is that they were so busy, they just never got around to invoicing their clients. So there could be a delay of 30 days or more between the time they actually hit the service milestone and the date they actually submitted the invoice. And of course, the, their customers, quite rightly, were going to take full advantage of their 30 or 45-day payment terms upon the receipt of the invoice. So in their case, they were tying up cash for, you know, a month or two extra because they weren't, you know, following through on the entire sales and execution and collection cycle. Hmm. Do you find that that's pretty common with especially like smaller businesses? Like I, I, I would just assume, I don't know, but like the idea of like that, that piece, like collecting money and stuff like that. And can that be a killer? Well, I'm not sure, you know, how, how common being slow to invoice or collect for small businesses is. I think right. most of the people that I've run to are pretty attuned to that aspect. Hmm. What I see is more common is as they start to grow and when they've started a business, you know, we call them human scale businesses, but you know, solopreneurs, small teams, as they start growing, they experience you know, an overwhelming amount, increase in sort of the administ administrivia, you know, the bookkeeping, the, the tracking, the submissions of invoices, you know, all the accounting and bookkeeping work that go along with that, as well as, as sort of the overhead activities associated with delivery. If they haven't created an infrastructure that allows them to grow and they haven't taken as much use of automation and intelligent outsourcing as they can, they can get overwhelmed by a lot of those bookkeeping and operational details. And it, it ends up having the same effect is that, you know, there's only 24 hours in the day and they don't want to work all of them um, in order to, you know, actually enjoy their success. Okay, great. So now you had mentioned that like, depending on the type of business you have, like profitable growth can kill it. We talked a little bit about that, but I'm curious, like in what, I suppose in what scenarios, like, like, how do I know if I'm going into something where I really can ramp up versus can't? Like, I guess, how do I avoid the idea of like, how do I avoid the situation where I do feel like I'm doing well in my business and then I ramp up and everything go, you know, de destroys or crumbles underneath me? Like, how do, how do I mitigate that risk? Sure, that's a good question. So I'll give you two answers. I'll give you the short, you know, rule of thumb right up front. So if you look at your income statement and you look at your operating profits or your, your pre-tax or, you know, profit, or maybe just your, your, uh, your net profit, sort of the, the amount of margin that you have after you've paid for everything to run your business. 
a consumer products company, that operating margin, that operating profit divided by the revenue might be in the range of 15 or 20%. So it says when you, when you sell a dollar of product, at the end of the day, you're going to be able to uh, accumulate about 10, 15, 20 cents on the dollar of cash. Now, at the same time, for that kind of business, if you're selling indirect, so you're, you're, you're selling through um, Walmart, for example, you have accounts receivable. Walmart doesn't pay you with a credit card. They're going to take 30, 45, 60 days to pay you. You have inventory. You've got to be able to anticipate uncertain demand. So you've got to have reserves of inventory. So if you add up your accounts, the value of your accounts receivable and the value of your inventory, and look at that in, in proportion to your revenue. In the case of a lot of consumer products companies, that percentage might be 25, 30, or even 40%, which means for every dollar of sale, you're tying up another 25, 30, 40 cents of cash. Hmm. So if your operating margin doesn't exceed what's called the, the networking capital to sales ratio, you're going to need some sort of external source of financing while you're growing. Hmm. form of loans or equity, um, but you don't have enough internal cash generating capacity to cover those incremental investments and uh, that, that covers the delay in your cash collections. So if you've got a, a, a service business or a software business or a digital products business, very often your operating margin will exceed any money that you have tied up in accounts receivable, for example. So you can grow and actually generate cash. So that's the, you know, sort of the quick uh, income statement ratio kind of test that you can, um, that you can use. Beyond that, it, it takes, you know, simulating your business, doing some modeling to try to anticipate things. And that comes into play when you've got serious seasonality, for instance. Mm -hmm. Over the course of a year, you might be cash flow positive, but uh, depending on your business, if it's really seasonal, you might be cash flow negative for part of those. So you know it's, um, you know it's it it doesn't really help if you you think that you can cross the valley of broken dreams, but three quarters of the way through it, you fall into some abyss that's only about three feet wide. Um, so depending on the size of the business and the nature of the business, um, going through in a little bit more detail and trying to push back the fog of the future a little bit and do some modeling is a, is a really good thing to do. I like it. Okay. Interesting. So, okay. So you mentioned some, uh, you know, a few terms that, that uh, I think sound really important for people to know for those who are getting into business, um, you know, kind of winging it. Uh, I can relate. Um, where's, where's a good kind of like baseline, whether a book or maybe it's your website for people to kind of like, to, for, for somebody like me to look at it and be like, okay, these are the terms I need to know and make sure that my business is operating within these kind of like, you know, key areas versus just kind of winging it. Where do you think is a good place to start? Well, we, we've on our website have developed a couple of little mini courses, uh, mm -hmm. one called Understanding the Cash Cycle and one called Reaching Break-Even Cash Flow, which we think are pretty good places to start. And And we try to reduce the amount of jargon. There's a lot of jargon in finance and accounting. Some of it's useful, a lot of it isn't. And we do our best to try to present some of these ideas in, in, in plain English. The, the, the ideas are not difficult. Uh, they get wrapped in sort of complexity sometimes to make people who are accounting and finance specialists seem smart somehow. But they're, they're really pretty straightforward. If you can figure out how to, 
create a saleable product and find customers, you can figure this stuff out. So the, our site is a, is a place to start. There are lots of resources available online about accounting and finance terms. So, you know, a recommendation would be whenever, whenever you run across one of these terms, it just doesn't make sense off, off the top of your head. It takes about 15 seconds to, you know, Google it and, and figure it out. Um, and I encourage people to do that. Don't be intimidated by the language and the, the jargon. It's really not that hard. Okay, great. Um, so now, you know, I, I think obviously there's a lot of importance when you're getting to that level to, to know the, the financials and underlying components of the business. How important is this at like, you know, at a relatively like smaller business level under 1 million per year? to like understand these, these things versus like kind of just focusing on things like selling, marketing, et cetera. Um, and specifically in the context of, you know, if, if somebody learns this stuff, kind of learns the fundamentals and understands the accounting and those kind of principles, is that something that can actually, that you've seen that can help somebody actually improve their business, their core business? Yeah. And, and one of the reasons it helps is it helps you anticipate the ramifications of your success. And, it's easy when you're at the early stage of a business to dismiss some of these secondary issues as high class problems. I hear that phrase quite a bit. And, and people say that flippantly if they haven't lived through those high class problems. Those high class problems are as deadly to your business as not being able to find customers when you're getting started. So, you know, certainly initially, understanding what your product is and who your customer is and going out and selling something are the clear priorities. Uh, these issues follow up on the heels of your success though. And that's, that's where people get caught flat-footed. Sometimes they don't dare to think about what's gonna happen when they're successful. And these, these kinds of complications come at them really fast as they start to grow. So if you've got a lot of cash reserves um, and you're comfortable with that, you don't have to be spending a lot of time uh, working on your cash cycle, not upfront. Uh, if you don't want to spend all that money, you probably should, at least to, you know, do sort of that first step. If, you know, if, I, if you say, well, I've, I've got my product created, my digital product created, I'm going to be selling direct to consumers online with e-commerce. I don't have inventory. I don't have fixed expenditures. I don't have accounts receivable. This isn't a real big problem for you. Mm-hmm. If you've got tangible products or anything that, that, where there, that extends the delay between the time you have to put money into your business and the time you get it out, you should be having this in the back of your mind, especially as you start anticipating growth. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be massive growth, but relative growth is where this, this comes into, uh, really comes into uh, you know, focus. And the reason for doing that is so you can, if you can expect a, f- a need for financing, it's better to know that way in advance not put yourself in the position of going, oh no, I need $30,000 and I need it now. Where am I going to get it? Because there's only two outcomes when you find yourself in that situation. Either the answer is no, or alternatively, you find yourself considering something like a merchant cash advance, which can be rapaciously expensive. Mm, Good stuff. Fantastic. Um, And so, okay. So, we, we get this stuff straight. We, you know, again, I guess I'm curious here. Here's a good one. You know, what are the most common problems that you've seen that are also probably or possibly the most preventable? Um, yeah, that you've seen from your, your consulting experience and just kind of working with businesses at the six to seven figure range. 
Well, by the time, you know, when, when companies by definition sort of get to that range, they've, they've cracked the nut on, yeah. on quite a few things. I mean, you, you've got to be doing a lot of things right and have good fortune to get to that level. I think people who've never lived through that or tried to get there grossly underestimate, you know, how much has to go right to, to be, to get to that level, especially when you've got a complex business with, when you're making product and you've got design and manufacturing and supply chain, mm -hmm. um, never, ever easy, as you know. Um, I think where, where I see people get you know, avoidably in trouble is when they haven't really thought through the interdependences between their, their marketing channel strategy and their operations, including maybe their manufacturing and their financial requirements. Those things are all intimately linked and you really have to view them as a, as a system. And, you know, a lot of business education, for instance, is treat those things as if they up, if they're in part of different domains, you got operations people and admin people and finance people and marketing people, and nobody talks to each other. But in our size of companies, the, uh, the people that we care most about, those things are intimately connected and hard to, very hard to tease out. It's not a, a failure of imagination or intelligence, but oftentimes inexperience with the tools and the methods for kind of figuring out how those things are related to one another. So I'll give you an example. Um, in, in a lot of the businesses that I work with, people start selling online. They've got a cool product and they, they've got a really good sense of who their target audience is and how to speak to them and create an authentic connection. So they create a, a really nice Shopify site and set up their third-party logistics and start offering their product for sale. And then nothing happens because it takes some time to build an audience and awareness. Um, in the meantime, they, they'll, they might panic a little bit. And in order to boost their revenue growth, they'll start seeking wholesale customers, you know, who can buy a lot. Of course, they'll pay less, you know, they'll probably pay about 50% you know, percent less, but they can see sales growth. But what they haven't necessarily thought through is the impact of that marketing choice on the, those working capital components, things like um, inventory and accounts receivable, but also the amount of time that they have to spend with customer service. People like Walmart and Target are, de demand a lot of handholding, and you got to mm -hmm. jump through their hoops. And it mm -hmm. takes a huge amount of time. So uh, that's where I see a lot of companies having challenges because they've used some of their sales and marketing decisions as sort of independent of kind of the back end of the shop, the other half of the, of the company. I love it. Well, Dave, this is so great to have this conversation with you because I think it provides some really great insights into a lot of things we just don't talk about because what we see in the online space and everywhere, you know, print, TV, whatever is, you know, all those is that idea of like survivor bias. We're just seeing the success stories. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the failures come um, with some of the topics we talked about, not knowing, you know, what is going to affect cash flow or if growth is going to actually hurt us. So I, I, it's fun to kind of spotlight this and talk through it and also just very important that we did. So thank you for, for all that. What I'd love to do is give you the floor. Where can people reach out to you? Where they can find your work? Where can they hire you possibly? Um, and the floor is yours. Well, I appreciate it. So uh, if you're interested in learning more, 
please go to our website. It's called humanscalebusiness.org. And on our homepage, you'll see a couple of things. You'll see a couple of the, the, the courses that I mentioned. You can get a sense of the topics that we cover in our blog. And uh, we've got our own little podcast. If in doubt, uh, there's a button right on the top of the page called Schedule a Free Call. I would be uh, delighted to chat with you for free and uh, try to be helpful to you and see if, that, if there's anything that we can do in the realm of cash flow modeling or strategy uh, that could help you succeed with your business. I love it. Thank you so much, Dave. And I really appreciate you being on In the Trenches. Thank you. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.